tonight to Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. And tonight we're going to look at the first eight verses. You know, I mentioned this morning that uh, there was a certain subject that I have been wanting to preach a series of messages on. And as I think about that, I, I, I can think of probably 20 different things or series that I'd like to preach. And, you know, the older you get to realize the less time you got. And, and there's no way to, you know, to preach everything that you might have on your heart. And so that's why it's so very important that we uh, let God direct us in what we say. We could turn to any part of the Bible and be true. There wouldn't be a bit of doubt about it whatsoever. But it might not be the portion that would be most beneficial to us. But when you turn to the book of Ecclesiastes or Proverbs and and even, even the Psalms, you know that there are things there of such practical value that in some way or another, God's Word is going to minister to your needs even whether you realize it or not. In fact, it will reveal needs that you did not even know existed at the time. You know, you just look at your life and and think, well, you know, everything's in order. I'm really doing fine. And then you get in the Word of God and, and hear in Ecclesiastes or Proverbs, and all of a sudden, uh, the Holy Spirit just takes some particular word or verse of Scripture like an arrow to your heart and says, you, you need to work on that. Well, when we think about Ecclesiastes and what we've uh, been considering and Solomon and his experiment, the the word wisdom keeps coming to the forefront, as you would expect in the book of Proverbs, naturally. And so tonight in these verses here, I'm going to use as the title of the message tonight what he says in verse 1, and here it is, Who is as the wise man? Who is as the wise man? Question mark. And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Who is as the wise man? The question itself is designed to make us think. That's always a good thing to do, to think. You know, I think back whenever I was a boy, and it was common late in the evening, especially the men after they got off work and they'd eaten supper and what have you in the summertime, uh, you, you could you go down the street and you'd, you'd see people sitting out in their front yard or backyard and and uh, it was a common thing. You go down to the grocery store, and there might be some old geezer sitting there whittling on a stick, and you know stuff like that. People just had a more relaxed uh, uh, attitude about life. And nowadays, it's it's such a hurry, hurry world that we live in, and with all of the technology. I mean, whoever dreamed that you could have in your hand a little old little old phone? that I can reach around the world. I can, I can click on that and look at vast libraries of material, information that, uh, you know, you would never be able to find otherwise. I mention all of that because with something like that, it is so easy for us to become distracted from some things that we really seriously need to think about. And this is one of them here tonight. Who is as the wise man? And I can safely say there is no one. 
There's no one that is as the wise man. You can take those that are noble. They've been born of nobility, you know, and boy, I mean, they've got the They've got all of the facts to prove it. They can look back at their genealogy and so forth and, and, and the high-ranking officials that they came from. But there's no one among them that can measure up to the wise person. You can look at those that are educated. And oh, the, that, that, that has become just a, a fad, I think, for some people to see how many different degrees that they can get, degrees that they will never use. Uh, And so education, you know, is a big deal, but you can find the most educated person on earth and he cannot measure up to a wise person. You can take someone of great talent. That is the end all for some people. Oh, if I've just got enough talent, boy, uh, you know, I can can be the next superstar and I can make lots of money. And that's all that's important that I have the ability to do this or that. Or you can take those that are rich. They've already got it made. They've got money just running out their ears. Plenty of money. And, uh, and you think, boy, what could they possibly need? Well, they don't begin to measure up to the person who has wisdom. And I mention that because of the fact that a, a wise person need never feel inferior to anyone you know, you might not have as much money, as much talent, as much education or anything else as the, as the other people do. But wisdom is a far greater value than that. And here he's going to speak about the practical, the practical quality of it that's attributed to the wise man. Notice it's in the form of a question. And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Now, the word interpretation comes from a Hebrew word that simply means solution. And so, you know, in 1611, everybody would have understood that because in the English language in 1611, they, and you mentioned interpretation, they, they would, you know, understand you're talking about a solution, someone who has the solution. Uh, but we need to explain that today. It speaks about discernment. Somebody that is able to understand and or explain uh, difficult things. And boy, when we consider all of the perplexing problems that exist in the world today, it ought to be easy to see why we need such people as that. People that can understand and explain difficult things. You remember the men of David had an understanding of the times that they knew what to do. And so many people today fail to understand the times that we live in, and based on observation of their behavior, they sure don't know what to do. They have no clue as to what they ought to be doing in this world. But when we have wisdom, it enables us, it enables us to be able to discern and to understand these difficult things that we could never understand as the result of getting a good education. In Job, and I'm not going to read all of the, all of the verses related to it, but I mention it because it uses a, 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 a similar word here based on this. And it says in verse 23, Eli, said to Joab, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, 
to show unto man his righteousness. Now, I make mention of that of the fact because the first thing I want you to understand tonight about this is the rarity of a wise man, the rarity of people who have wisdom. I, I mean, they are few and far between. There are a lot of people who got a lot of money. A lot of people who got a lot of talent. But there's not all that many people that have a lot of wisdom. And here when he talks about an interpreter here, he's speaking about somebody that has the ability to understand and to explain difficult things. And so Solomon is here simply trying to get us to see the great value of wisdom. And that's something a lot of people fail to do. Just give me the money. Give me the education. Give me the talent. Give me this. Give me that. And they have really no concern about wisdom. But then we read in Proverbs 4, 7, listen to this. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Think about in your own life. Is wisdom something that you are actively pursuing? Or maybe you feel like, well, I've, 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 I've got all I need already. Well, I'll tell you what, I sure don't. I mean, if you got any left over, I could use some. I, I don't think we could ever get too much wisdom. We need wisdom uh, more than we can need anything. He said, it's the principal thing. And, you know, we got all this long list of things that we prefer to wisdom and things that maybe we're working on and we're trying to achieve this and trying to achieve that, but we just leave wisdom down there at the bottom of the list. And Solomon is saying it needs to be right there on top of the list. It's the principal thing. So it is a rarity to find people who are true, truly wise and able to understand the difficulties of life. But notice he doesn't stop there in verse 1. Not only do we see his rarity, but we see his radiance here in the last part of verse 1. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Now he's talking about some of the benefits of wisdom, and we usually don't think about that. And, you know, it might seem like a really minor matter, but it's not. It's dealing with a cheerful disposition. And he's literally telling us that a person with wisdom that ultimately, eventually, it's even going to show up in their countenance. Now, think about it. We live in a troubled world. There are people that every day of their life, they're basically wringing their hands and wondering what in the world are we going to do. You know, it might have to do with politics. It might have to do with a number of different things. But people, some, some are in a panic mode about this troubled world that we live in. And they are uptight every day. And, and they feel justified in being that way because, my, just look around. Look how rotten and how terrible the world is, you know. I've got a right to be downcast. And, you know, as hard as they try to be happy, you know, they're still just miserable. And it shows on their face. And uh, here he's telling us about the value of, of a countenance that is transformed by, by having wisdom. Notice the word boldness there because it is changed. The countenance is changed here. 
he says, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. That word boldness means fierceness or gloom or sternness. I don't have to describe that for you. I, 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 tend, to, I tend to kind of look that way a lot of times. I remember uh, Timmy years and years and years ago talking about, uh, uh, he made some complimentary remarks first, of course, but he, he also related the fact that it would be nice if I had a better sense of humor. And he was probably right on that, you know. And um, I can remember times whenever, like a little boy come out of the service back in Kentucky when I was there, and a little boy come out and said to his mom, well, boy, God was sure mad today, you know. And uh, so some of us had just, you know, got that, that look anyway. But, but that being said, you can usually tell when someone is in a downcast mode of existence i mean they're just their lower lip is dragging the ground and they have obviously no 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 joy or happiness and the bible says wisdom maketh his face to shine that's why i said this is about his radiance here it's talking about an illumination wisdom causes his face to shine and boy that that ought to be a welcome change you know the there's an old song, one of the old quartet songs that I used to listen to years ago called Brighten the Corner Where You Are. I bet some of you heard that, yeah. Uh, yeah, Brighten the Corner. In fact, if I remember right, that was the theme song for the Blackwood Brothers Quartet when they had the radio broadcast back in the 40s. Brighten the Corner Where You Are. Wouldn't it be good if we all took that advice? If wherever you are, to brighten the corner, bring some radiance in, into the lives of others. By the way, didn't Jesus say that you're what? The light of the world, you see. Now, don't misunderstand because I realize that life is tough and I also realize that, you know, to some extent, all of us are affected adversely by our environment. And, you know, we can always find something to frown about. It doesn't take 10 seconds to find something to get downcast about here. And in addition to that, there, you know, there are some people that they, they just have this natural smile. I mean, it looks like they're happy and smiling even when they're 100 miles out of the will of God. And that, that's just their facial features make it look that way. And some of us are just the opposite. And there are some folks that are going through severe problems and they're not going to tell you what it's all about. They're not going to tell you, you know, I'm really down today. And let me tell you why. And we would be shocked a lot of times if we knew what horrible, terrible, difficult things some people are going through. So this is not a matter where we ought to go around judging people by the countenance on the, their face, you see. But it ought to serve as a reminder that our disposition is important. It's crucial to our testimony, you see. And like Charles Bridges, the famous Puritan writer of many, many years ago, said, Godliness is never long without making itself seen. I don't know what all he had in mind, uh, you know, exactly what characteristics he was talking about. But godliness 
Godliness is never long without making itself seen. It'll be obvious in some way or another, whether it's the countenance of your face or whether it's the, uh, your, your activity, your behavior, or whatever it is, it's going to become known to others. And as Solomon said in Proverbs 15, that a, cheerful, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. I mean, it's better than Mary Kay and uh, all, all, all those other makeups and things like that. Just, uh, you know, a, a cheerful countenance. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. So, you know, there it is that God telling us that happiness or, or that wisdom brings happiness and happiness changes our disposition, changes our countenance, and that is of a great benefit to our Christian witness. It makes a big difference. You know, we go telling people, how about, you know, well, I'm a child of God and on my way to heaven, and we act like we just was baptized in pickle juice and ate a raw persimmon. And, and you know, they're not going to put much stock in what we say. So there is a radiance to the person who has wisdom. Now, let's move on. Verse 2, and we're going to go down through verse 5 now. And here we see him speaking about the respectfulness of a wise man. Here's what I mean. Verse 2. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that in, and, and, and that in regard of the oath of God. Now here's another practical advantage of wisdom, and, and that is this. It causes us to respect authority. Not always an easy thing to do, by the way. You'll remember when Jesus said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And uh, I, I know that's spoken of in context of paying taxes. I understand that. But it also applies toward authority in general and everything associated with it because the Bible teaches us in Romans and in First Peter, it teaches us that we are to be submissive to the authority that is over us. Authority is ordained of God. To have a world of order, there has to be authority. It's like I often said, you take uh, a, a football team, 11 guys out there on the field. Everybody can't be the quarterback Somebody's got to call the plays, you know. Everybody can't decide, well, I'm a running back. And so that's all you've got is running backs. You have to have people in different positions, and they have to play their position. And somebody's got to be a coach, somebody that is in charge. And so authority is something that God himself has ordained, and he's done so for our good, and he has commanded us to obey Authority. The only exception to that is when the authority of man conflicts with the will of God because no earthly leader has the right to, you know, to, to stop us from obeying God. And, and the Bible says we ought to obey God rather than man. That's always our top priority. So when a man's law clashes with God's law, we should always obey God just you know, as, as even as difficult as it is, it's something that needs to be done. I think about Daniel, you know, and, and his companions and the apostles. Uh, a law was enacted, but the law conflicted with the will of God, and God's the one that ordained authority, and he is the top authority. 
And so they obeyed God rather than man. Think about the mother of Moses. You know, what if she had gone along with the government program? A little baby Moses would have been dead. And she ignored that and went and did something that resulted in, you know, in, in a great blessing to humanity. But no, notice this phrase here. He says, in regard to the oath of God. Now, I have no idea exactly what that might imply, but it could have a reference to the ancient custom of the kings that required their subjects to take an oath of allegiance in the name of God. That, that was something required of every citizen, you know, that they would have to, I, I don't know what kind of a ceremony they went through or what, but they had to swear their allegiance, you know, to the authority over them. And that's the point here. He says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, even if you didn't vote for him, and, and that in regard of the oath of God. Now notice verse 3, and we're on the same subject now. Verse 3, Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. How's he get by with that? He's in charge. He's the king. And we learn two things about this right here as regards authority. First, we learn that we're to show respect. He says, be not hasty to, to go out of his sight. And in other words, something standing in the presence of a king was not something that was to be taken lightly. It calls for a person to be on their very best behavior and for the king to say something they don't like. And so they just turn around and stomp out of there because they didn't like what he said or what he, what he commanded. You see, in a rage, is not just disrespectful. That would have been a dangerous thing to do. And it reminds me that being right does not give me the right to be rude. Being right doesn't give us the right to be rude. And this is what we see, that we ought to learn to show respect, especially to those in authority. But secondly, not only respect, but also restraint. Notice he says, stand not in an evil thing. I, I think this is a warning about, you know, whether you're joining a conspiracy against the king, or maybe it's just a reference to stubbornly refusing to follow the king's command either way. We're wise to, to restrain our feelings and not provoke the authority that's over us. And the very next clause tells us why that's true. For, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. In other words, he can have your head on a platter if he wants to. And that, that's why the smart thing to do is to get with the program, at least show respect. And, uh, you know, you, you can't force people to change, and especially a king. And just getting mad and showing disrespect is just going to make matters worse instead of better. And that's something, you know, that, that kids, they, and it's true of every child, at some point in, in their early life, as soon as mom or dad says, I told you, don't do that again, what do they do? Their lower lip starts to drag the ground, and they turn and stomp out, you see. They're going to put on a demonstration that I don't like what you're telling me to do. And Solomon is saying, look, you better not take that attitude before the king. You better not show that kind of disrespect to the king. And the, the point is here, be respectful. Don't, 
Don't keep on just trying to prove your point. He, um, whenever he's made the decision, you can't change it. And just standing there arguing with the authority figure that is over you is not going to make things better. Verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? You see, kings and leaders have authority, you know, and they usually use it to do whatever they please to do. Because naturally, most of them think they're right. And even if they're not right, they're in charge. And so in those matters that do not violate God's commandments, we ought ought not to publicly, at least, question their decision or do anything that, that's, you know, going to show disrespect toward the authority. And so, you know, it's just, listen, it's natural for us to all have an opinion, Right? Regardless of what it is, politics, religion, whatever it is, and we've all got a right to have an opinion. That's true. But we don't have the right to express it just on a whim. You know, well, I'm thinking and I might as well say it. That's, that's not the wise thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. Verse 5, whoso keepeth the commandment uh shall uh shall fret no evil thing fear no evil thing usually speaking here about people that obey the king you know and in doing so they will avoid incurring the wrath of their king now i i know we don't live under a king today right but let me tell you there can be severe consequences for rebelling against the authority that is over us this is really an important and a touchy subject because we have those that would justify rebellion against the government on the basis, you know, that they don't prefer the direction that the political leaders are taking them in, and so they're trying to undermine them. I believe it was in New York. I, I, I just saw a part of a news clip today that was announced that they figured out that it's some some gang that has hijacked the system of the oil piping that, that covers a large part of America. They had hijacked that and, and for some kind of a ransom in order to, in order to get it back functioning again. Uh, and it's a serious thing whenever you think about, and, and the officials were saying, look, I think we're going to be all right now, but if, if this thing had gone on for two or three days, our nation would be in trouble and our gas prices would go through the roof and stuff like that. It's amazing to me to think that, you know, uh, some kind of a tech gang has the ability to shut down our government in a manner of speaking. But there are people that feel justified in that. I also saw another article that I didn't read, just noticed it, and had to do with the, uh, had to do with the right to keep and to bear arms, and that that is going to appear before the Supreme Court. And that has people on both sides quaking in fear. I mention all that for a reason. We're talking about the authority that is over us and the fact that unless it violates God's standard, then we have an obligation to obey the authority over us. It's not easy. I don't like following speed limits usually, you know, especially when it seems so unnecessary 
35, are you kidding me? I, there's nobody within half a mile from here, and you want me to drive 35. But there's a penalty attached to it if they catch me not obeying the law, you see. And so, for the most part, it pays. I shouldn't have said that. It, it pays to obey the authority over you because those tickets can get expensive. Right? And, and, and it can be worse than that, by the way. Now, what if, what if our political leaders decide, and believe me, some of them have already said this is what they want to do. This is not a secret. They want to change the Constitution. And whenever you go tampering with that, we are in trouble in America. It becomes a free-for-all. And at some point, we've got to decide what is the proper authority here in America. Is it our Constitution or is it some political party that wins the election and now they're dictating what we can and what we cannot do? Well, if I understand the Constitution at all, I understand that is the rule by which our nation is to be governed and I'm going to follow that the best that I can, regardless of what they say. Because that's our standard as a nation, you see. And, and, and it's so important that we realize that authority has ordained of God, and it's ordained for our own good and protection. And that's why we sing, God bless America. I don't know how He can nowadays, but that ought to be our prayer. God bless America. Help us. And boy, if you don't if you don't believe God was involved in it, just you know, read the history as to the as to the writers of the uh, of the Constitution, and it is absolutely amazing that God, or, you know, that man could ever put together a document like that with such great wisdom. It took God in order to do that. Now, notice in the last part of verse five and down through verse eight. He's going to speak to us about the reasoning of a wise man. He says, "In a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Now, now, this has to be taken in connection with what we've been talking about, right? He's been talking about what? Respect for authority, obedience to authority, namely the king, but authority in general. And in general, the rule is that you know, that um, we're to obey the authority over us. That doesn't, doesn't mean that everything's perfect, by the way. Doesn't mean that nothing needs to be changed. And our text is telling us here, wise is the person, you know, that, uh, that follows that, that counsel. And the wise man heart discerneth both time and judgment. There's a time when wrongs are going to be rectified because so many times we think okay you know the government is now taking us in this direction and we've always been going in the other direction which we feel is the right direction now here we are going over there well listen there's there's coming the time that God's going to rectify all of the wrongs and we just need the patience to wait on God to sort all of that out now get to that here in just a little bit now verse 6 because to every purpose there is a time in judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. The wise man is going to bear up under the oppression of a wicked ruler. Why? 
How does he do that? Because he knows that, that the reign of the wicked is but for a season. And the duration of everything is appointed by God Himself. You know, and if we just prematurely try to force change, it's going to bring nothing but heartache and judgment upon us. So it's a whole lot better to wait on God and let God correct the matter than it is for us to take matters into our own hands. So until the time that God steps in and God takes control and God changes things, we're better off to remain you know, subject the best we can to the laws that we don't like as long as they do not offend God. You know, as an example, I said just a minute ago we'll get to that, and here's the example I was talking about. In Jeremiah 27, some other verses, God tells Israel that they're going to be taken into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to overtake them destroy them, carry them off into captivity, and all of these long 70 years into captivity and what have you. And you would think that maybe God would say, look, I'm not going to let them get by with this. But instead, God said, look, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. Here he is using a wicked heathen king as his servant. And he said, he is my servant, and I've given you over to his hand. You're going to be carried away. He's going to run the show. He's going to make the rules. And, and he warned them, do not resist. When you get there, don't try to stir up an insurrection against him. When you get there, go ahead and plant your vineyards, build your houses. Just live the best you can with things as they are and wait for me to make things better. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been? Maybe you'll remember just a few years ago, I preached an entire series of messages on living in Babylon. And this is exactly what it was about. Living in situations that are unpleasant, situations that we don't want to be in, and yet it is what it is, and there we are. And rather than trying to take matters into our own hands and force change and get our own way, we're better off just leaving it up to God. Look at verse 7. For he knoweth not that which shall be. He knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be. And the whole, whole idea here is that, you know, that we know that, that there's a time and a purpose for, for everything, every judgment, he says. But we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen because we can't see the future. In fact, there in Jeremiah 27, he told the people, he said, don't listen to the prophets. You know, th those that come along, you know, claiming to be the prophets of Israel, don't listen to them because, you know, some of them were coming along and, and I'm sure some of them were telling the people to resist and uh, others were telling the people that everything was just fine. There's no problem between you and God. There's nothing you've got to make right. And, and so God is simply saying, all you can do now is just sit back, watch and wait because it's going to happen. These years of you living in captivity... And sometimes whenever we do things, we do things that we can't undo. And we just have to wait upon God until God changes the whole picture here. And those things like that are mysterious. 
By the way, just as a heads up, next week when we start in verse 9, that's what the next section is about, mysteries. How mysterious things is, you know, there some things that we don't know. In verse 8, he says, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there's no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. You know, if there's any one thing in life that is certain, it's death. It is appointed unto man once to die. We cannot stop it. We can eat the most healthy diet possible. We can exercise. We can do everything imaginable, but we can't stop it. Like it or not, we're all going to die and the mighty king, you know, the, he has the power to make the rules. He can dictate the policy. He can execute the rebels against him. He can even send the troops off into war. But there's one thing that he can't control, and that's death. He's going to die. That's an appointment we all must keep. People that, you know, that have untold wealth people that have great brilliance, uh, highly educated, and people that have authority with man and able to, as a general, able to send men off into war, they can control those things, you know, to some extent. They have no control over death whatsoever. And that's a fact that we all need to face. Every one of us needs to, to live our lives in light of the fact that we're going to die. And we don't know when. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be somewhere way down the road. We don't know. But that's why we need to apply our hearts unto wisdom. Psalms 90 and verse number 12. That we're to apply our hearts unto wisdom. And here in this last phrase is telling us, you know, that those that resort to, to wickedness in order to maintain control... Uh, and maybe try to evade death, they're not going to escape. All of our human efforts to avoid death are in vain. And the wise person realizes, that, hey, I'm not going to live forever. Jesus said, the night cometh when no man can work. And each day of our life, we need to live with the realization that our time is limited. Whatsoever we do, we need to do it. Redeem the time because the days are evil. I end back where I started where Solomon said, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Let me just ask you young people, what is it that, what is it that you're really wanting out of life? What are you looking for? What are you trying to get? And, and I, I, hope, I hope some of you say, well, I'm trying to get a good education. That'd be great. I'm all for that. Maybe some of you think, well, I'm, I'm, I want stardom, you know. I, I, I want to get up to uh, have a million likes on Facebook. Or, I, I don't know what, how you might answer, but I know how you should answer. You should say, if, uh, above all of those things, I want wisdom. I want God to give me wisdom. And the good news is he will. Because he said in James, if any man like wisdom, what? Let him ask of God that giveth liberally and upbraideth not. In other words, he's not going to get mad at you and, and belittle you in some way. It's something that God wants to do and something God will do, but we've got to be willing to receive
what God offers. So I hope tonight there's been something said that is of practical value that will help you as you go through the journey of life, not only help you, but that we'll have the kind of wisdom that literally will change our countenance and give us a radiance that when we're in the presence of others, that they might see something of Jesus in us. Let's all stand together. And as I think everybody knows, if you ever have a need and God's directing you to do something, and especially if you're unsaved and and you've got some questions, Brother Kenneth or I or any of our teachers, we'd love to help you. And we you don't don't hesitate for a moment to come to us and say, "Hey, you know, I I, I just got a that's bothering me. I got a problem in my life. I need God's help, and I want you to pray for me, whatever it is." So we're not going to give an invitation as we normally do. We're going to be dismissed in prayer, but. I say all of that to let you know that's not because we're unconcerned. Uh, we're very much concerned. So if God's speaking to your heart and, and uh, there's you know, something that you need help with, be sure to let us know. Any-